0: are very important. The Bible has a lot to say about the mind. It says in Romans 12:1 that we're to have our minds renewed. Uh, it tells us many places we have the mind of Christ and so on. So David talks about his mind and the struggles he had with it. And so we want to talk at this time about the controlling our thoughts. And so the basic foundational truth, from scripture comes from Second Corinthians ten, five. And it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's New International Version. The old King says King James says, every every suspicion, I believe it is, and all the imaginations. But it says we're, we're supposed to demolish this stuff, anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then it says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So if what we're thinking is contrary to what Jesus has said, we need to take it captive and make it obedient to the lord jesus and so that's what this teaching is about may god bless you i need to tell you it doesn't work unless you do it you've heard it but you need to do it the man who built his house in the sand he heard the word of god in matthew 7 but he didn't do it and therefore his house is destroyed our lives are destroyed if we don't do it so i pray the lord will use this teaching to bring you into a deeper freedom when it comes to what's going on in your mind. Well, we're going to look at something that I learned the hard way, in a way, it was um, uh, an issue of counseling with people that had struggles with their thoughts, which produced struggles with their feelings and, and produces struggles with their conclusions to life. And I basically, used to say to myself, well, here I am counseling someone with these struggles, and I struggle with the same thing. And there's, there's an, a, a great deal of trouble in our Christian cultures today because we don't know how to deal with thoughts. And so I want to look at some things to help us get control of our thoughts. I'm going to look at Matthew 11, and it's verses two and three. It has to do with John the Baptist. When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now, here's a man in prison that has nothing much to do except wait for the next meal, which probably was pretty scarce and not much to look forward to anyway. And so the enemy would take advantage of hitting him with with flaming arrows, the Bible says, the New International Version. The old King James says, fiery darts. The enemy's firing these thoughts into his mind or you're going to die here. Nobody's ever going to come and get you. And the worst one, my cousin Jesus, who they say is the Messiah, he could get me out of here, but I haven't seen him. I haven't heard from him. And so he has these doubts because he's sitting there and the enemy's having a heyday with his thought life. The enemy's territory is your mind. It's not your spirit, that's God's domain if you're saved and filled with the spirit. But his domain, Satan's domain is your mind. And so John had trouble right now with these thoughts coming against him. Now if we went back to Matthew 3 verse 17, this is the day that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And it said, a voice came out of heaven saying, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. So a few months, maybe a few couple of years later, after John heard this voice out of heaven, there was no amplifying systems in those days, nothing electronically. It was God's voice and he knew it was God. God is saying, "This is my son." If I were to personalize it and and see, um, if you know, if if God really was interested, He would have said, "John, listen, I have news for you. You have just baptized my son, the Messiah, the one the prophets have spoken about. You just baptized him." But here, months later, a couple of years later, maybe, John's in prison, and he's having these thoughts, and he says, is this the Christ, or should I look for someone else? And he actually sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, should I expect someone else? Our minds are terrible things if they're not controlled. Because the enemy has access to our minds if we don't control them. He can tear me down, he can tear you apart, he can cause you to think that people are rejecting you when really there's no truth in it. I know people are rejected, but there's many times we think we are, we suspect we are because of something somebody said we interpret it the wrong way and we assume they've rejected us when really the person didn't mean it at all. And so we listen to the thoughts of the enemy afterwards and he tells us how much that person is talking to other people and tearing you down to other people. And all this stuff comes in, and you'll start to live in this igloo of rejection. And you're almost afraid to go out of that in case that person might be there or somebody like that person that would, again, reject you and hurt you. And we build walls to keep people from even knowing us. And so this thing is happening to John the Baptist, even though he had a clear word, "This is my son," he is now doubting it. And in our fight, there's a guy in the, that we can learn from. His name is asap He was he was a director of music in David's time, and he wrote some of the psalms. And so we look at Psalm seventy-seven, and Psalm seventy-seven. He says this, and I'm going to be coming back to it, so we'll look at it twice. But he, in starting in verse 7, he says, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion. like This is a man in charge of the music of Israel, should have it all together, should be in control of everything. But there's a weak spot, and for some reason that weak spot is allowing the enemy to pasture him with these thoughts, which produce feelings from which we draw conclusions. And if we went back to Psalm 13, We realize that David had much the same problem from verses 1 to 4. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord. I want an answer. He's saying, God... Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You understand? The enemy is hitting David, this this chosen man of God. I don't know if he's still in the fields looking after sheep, or if he's running from David and hiding in the caves. That would be my guess. I doubt it if he's king, but he might be. But you see? Oh, Lord, where are you when I need you? My enemy is is beating me down. I can't sleep at night. And you see, all these thoughts are hitting him, constantly hitting him and saying, you're defeated. You're toast, buddy. You're finished. God's forsaken you. He doesn't love you. Obviously, if he loved you, you wouldn't be in this position. Things would be going better if he really loved you. And you might be thinking, what have I done to deserve this? I deserve something better. And you see, that's the way the enemy hits us and hits us and hits us. He tells us we're ugly when we're not ugly. He tells us we're stupid when we're not stupid. He tells us all these things. He's even telling people today, you're not really a man you're really a woman or you're not really a woman you're really a man and they can't make up their minds because they hear these things coming in and after they've heard them for a long period of time they start to believe them and as they start to believe them then they start to talk about them and as they talk about them that causes things to happen that become solid within them and they are not really changing in their sex orientation they simply are convinced that they are because they've been listening to the thoughts that they've been listening to you know in first chronicles 28 9 first chronicles 28 9 this is david he's talking to a son solomon who he was preparing to take over as king of israel starting in verse 9 And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. If you forsake him, he will reject you forever. He's saying all those thoughts coming into your mind, And Solomon didn't listen because later in his life he got himself involved in false teaching and false doctrines. He should have listened because God said, if you're going to think those ways, if you're going to allow your mind to work in those things, you'll eventually start saying those things because out of the issue of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Solomon didn't listen because later in his life he got himself involved in false teaching and false doctrines. He should have listened because God said, if you're going to think those ways, if you're going to allow your mind to work in those things, you'll eventually start saying those things because out of the issue of the heart, the mouth speaks. Somewhere you're going to start saying them. And when you start saying them, God has said back in Deuteronomy 14:28, I've heard what you've said, and that's what I'll do to you. Numbers 14, 28. You need to sit on that verse. You need to ask yourself, is what I'm saying because of what I'm thinking, is that really what God has said? And the answer generally is, of course not. Now Jesus says in Hebrews 4, verse 15, Jesus went through all this. He was in the wilderness, and it says he was tempted just the same way we are, in Hebrews 4, 15. We're tempted the same way. But now he's in heaven. And it says we have a high priest in heaven, that same reference. We have a high priest in heaven who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses We have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. So in other words, when when Jesus was in the wilderness and and the enemy was tempting him, he was firing thoughts into his mind. And that's what Jesus was dealing with. And because he dealt with them, because he was successful, he defeated them. He can therefore help us in our battle. Now let's go back to Asap in Psalm 77. This is what, after his lament, Lord have you forsaken me, Lord where are you? Now he starts out in verse 10, listen to him. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, in other words, I've had all these thoughts coming, now I'm going to stop listening to them and I'm going to focus my mind on something else. I thought to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. In other words, God has been faithful to me in the past. I'm going to start thinking about that. I'll take these thoughts captive that are coming in. I'm going to think the right way. I'm going to look at what God has done in the past. What he's done in the past establishes character and God is consistent with his character, he'll look after us in the future. That's what Asaph was finding. Verse 11, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord, yes. I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Do you understand what he's doing? He is saying to the enemy, he's saying to all those arrows of doubt and unbelief that are coming in, which produce unbelief, all those thoughts coming in, I'm taking my stand against you. I am going to fight you, and he fights them with what he knows God has done in the past with the attitude he will continue to do it in the future. He is a God who performs miracles. He performs his power among people. He will redeem people, so he will redeem me. He will express his power. He will express his faithfulness to me. Isn't that beautiful? You see it? And if we go back to David's lament, you'll remember David's lament. Oh, God, where are you? Have you forsaken us? You remember all that? Come on now, verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. What was, remember David? Have you forgotten the, the first few verses? Why did you hide your face from me? Now he's saying, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he's been good to me. So out of that, almost like depression, remember in verse 2 he said, how must I wrestle with my thoughts? Out of that, if I can call it a depression, he bursts into song. You know, I heard a psychiatrist say one time, I don't know if he's a Christian man or not, he said it this way I don't sing because I'm happy I am happy because I sing and I said that man has discovered something you can fight your way out of thoughts and the feelings that produce. you can be triumphant over them because you take action against them so I want to spend time telling you how to do that Ephesians 6 tells us that we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy we can extinguish that we can defeat them in other words and so we're going to be doing some work at Ephesians 6 and Romans 10 so let's work at it Romans 10 first of all it says in Romans 10 verses 8 to 10 it says, but what does it say? Now he's quoting Old Testament here. What does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, and in your heart, that is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now I know that the, that the evangelical church by and large has taken this passage and say, this is the way you get born again. This is the way that you get saved from your past life. I agree with that, I have no trouble with that. But he is writing, Paul is writing to people that are saved and are filled with the Spirit, exercise the gift of the Spirit. So what's he saying? He's saying, folks, there's times when the enemy comes against you with those thoughts that produce so much um, kind of a backlash of feelings and discouragement, non-belief. And those feelings that or those thoughts that come in keep hammering on you and hammering on you. But he says, If you will get your mouth busy and you get your heart busy, you can be saved from that. Isn't that something? 2 Corinthians 4.13 agrees with that. Paul says, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore we speak. I would love to paraphrase that up. I hope Paul doesn't mind. I would like to put it this way. And a question. What is the spirit of faith? When you use the word the spirit of faith, it's like as if you're saying, what is the verb, the action word of faith? We know what the noun is from Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. So that's the noun. But now we're looking at the verb. What is is the, the action of faith? He had a very simple answer i believe therefore i spoke and that's what you see it says in romans 10 with my mouth and with my heart i can be safe from this stuff and so we're going to look at what paul talks about in ephesians the helmet of salvation is the word of god that is stored up in our minds that we've stored up in our mind and that helmet every time we read the Word of God we 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 hear sermons on the Word of God we read things about the word it's stored up in our minds and you see what you have in your helmet can save you but you have to make a choice to use it did you hear that you have to make a choice to use it because Ephesians six seventeen says take the helmet of salvation which is the word of God and so the helmet is my mind that stored up things from the word of God which starts to say to me we need to know the word of God especially the things that God has said about us as far as value if we feel we're worthless as far as acceptance if we feel we're rejected about how much he loves us in case we feel we're unloved. We need to find those things. And most counseling books will help you with those things. They'll point you to verses, but I encourage you just to start being a reader of the Word of God, especially the New Testament. Just get it into your mind. Get it up there. Lock it in that hard drive up there so that whenever you need it, it's up there. So the helmet is where we have the information. And then it says the sword is the word of God coming out of our mouths. However, it doesn't do any good unless we use it as Jesus did against, the, against Satan in the wilderness. It says take the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6, 17, which is the word of God. So the helmet stores up the word of God. The sword is the word of God. And then there's this shield. The shield is also has to do with faith. It says in Ephesians 6.16, in addition to all that, in addition to what you have in your helmet, in addition to the sword that you have, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows Of the enemy isn't that beautiful so the sword is also the word of god coming out of her mouth it stops the flaming arrows which are the lies and the accusations of the enemy and and then we speak the truth that is the opposite to the lies that we're hearing so the sword and this and this this the shield work together the sword I'm sorry, the shield actually absorbs. Let me draw you a picture in your mind. There's the shield and there's the sword. And out of my heart, it says in Romans 10, remember, with the mouth out of my heart, I begin to speak the things that I believe, believing, by the way, what I believe up, what I know up here, when I choose to believe it, And even have to say that sometimes when the enemy isn't whacking at me. It gets it into my heart. And so as I speak the Word of God, there's a shield that's up there and there's a sword that comes out. We need both. It doesn't work unless you do it. That's been one of the the most frustrating parts of our ministry, getting people to actually do what the Word of God says they are supposed to do. And so we have this picture of jesus in the wilderness the enemy is pumping those arrows those thoughts at him things like i'll save you from what the cross if you'll just bow down and worship me i'll give you all the kingdoms you won't have to go through the rejection if you just bow make these stones into bread to prove that you're god all these thoughts coming in how did he defeat them he knew he believed And so he spoke with his mouth. The the shield went up, absorbing the things the enemy was throwing at him. The The sword came out to fight the enemy back. Defensive, offensive, Jesus won the battle. And Jesus said, I've been through it. You can win it too. You can win the battle too. Father, we need to know. We need to know that you're on our side and your word says you are. And in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, that you will do for us the very things you need to do to get us through this. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen, Lord. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.